Right. Um, I'm Ryan Harris. I'm a, I'm a partner here at Vile Fotheringham and I've uh, been doing this. I was actually thinking about this, Montag, you and I started the same day, right? Wasn't Indeed. I think so, or at least pretty close to it, back in 2006. Yeah, Four, 14 years that we've been doing this in one capacity or another. First as law clerks, right, and then as lawyers. Yeah, so theoretically we know what we're talking about by now, but no promises. I guess we'll find out over the next hour. A lot of the, a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about is kind of a moving target, which makes it, I think, difficult even for attorneys to always stay on top of the latest developments. But um, our plan is to talk about, um, first of all, a little bit about reopening, where, where we are in Oregon and Washington with reopening and the different phases uh, briefly. Then we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about masks, mask laws generally, and masks in associations. Then um, uh, pools, pool closures, pool reopenings, and your general gym and exercise room reopenings. And um, then a little bit about uh, liability issues and waivers and those kind of things. And, and that'll probably be about it. If we make it much farther than that, um, we, we can discuss any other questions you guys have. We can maybe hit on meetings again, remote meetings. We've, we've touched on that in other presentations, but I'm happy to, happy to do that. We'll be um, answering, we'll be trying to answer questions. I have um, the chat window up. So if you would like to, pose a question to us, send us a message. If we don't answer your question, that's probably because we don't know the answer and we don't want to look stupid in front of you all. So. Um, hey, speak for yourself, right? <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the technology, okay, not yeah. being able to see the question or something. Well, we'll just say that we never got the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, anything else you want to say, Montag, before we get into it? Uh, no, I think that pretty much sums it up. Uh, to me, the most important thing to keep in mind is this stuff, it really is a moving target. And every day there's something new and the regulations change or are modified or, or the government's interpretation of the regulations change. Um, I've learned new things about the COVID regulations, specifically as they apply to HOAs, uh, not from the regulations or the executive orders themselves, but from when uh, government agencies issue guidance or even FAQs about, uh, about their guidance. Uh, it turns out they're thinking different things than we are. And any day, it could be something different. So uh, by all means, if we say something you think is out of date, let us know. Uh, type something into the chat. You wouldn't be the first to have got something hot off the press we haven't seen yet. So it's kind of a group effort and an ongoing learning process, but we will give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. in Oregon, most of you may have seen this already, but there are two new regulatory changes. One regarding face masks, um, pri uh, taking effect tomorrow. So prior to, uh, well, even as of today, if you are under the age of 12, you are not required to wear a face mask. Well, starting tomorrow, if you're um, 
five and it's the exceptions five and under. So kids that are over five need to wear a face mask. Um, the other one is that um, certain facilities were allowed to have up to 250 people, and that is the governor has dropped that down to 100. So there's an example of two things changing tomorrow about what we're talking about. Um, so why don't I start with uh, where we're at with reopening in Oregon. Um, and this probably won't come as much of a shock to, to many of you who follow this, but as you know, um, reopening is happening on a county by county basis. So what the government has done is they've, they've prescribed some benchmarks for the counties to meet. And as the counties meet those benchmarks, uh, they have to do with things like the number of cases they're having and the percentage of increase in cases and their ability to track, track down the cases and, and, and other things. As the counties show they're competent, they, they move um, from baseline, they have currently three different categories, baseline, phase one, and phase two, and the counties can move up. Um, honestly, within the last month, a lot has not changed on this, and I think that's because of the uh, resurgence in cases of COVID-19. The last one I, I did of these, Multnomah County was in baseline, and it has since moved to phase one. But all the other major um, large counties, they're still in phase one. So Multnomah, Clackamas, um, Washington, and then also Lincoln County are in phase one. Most of the other rural counties in Oregon, uh, they're in phase two. Um, so what, why does that matter? Well, uh, the regulations, of course, are different for the things that we're going to be discussing, things like pools. The pool regulations are different based on whether you're in phase one or phase two. Um, and also the meeting regulations are different. So um, if you're in phase one, you're not supposed to have gatherings of more than 25 people. And those gatherings are supposed, supposed to be socially distanced. If you're in phase two, you can have gatherings indoors of up to 50 people and outdoors of 100 people. That, that mostly plays into um, your meetings, your an and particularly your annual meetings as you, as you get ready to hold your annual meeting, if your association has more than 100, you know, more than 50 people that are showing up and you're in phase two or more than 25 people and you're in phase one, then that's gonna affect how you can hold that meeting. But those are, those are kind of the basics. We are still in Oregon in a state of emergency. Um, we've had two extensions of the state of emergency already. The current extension goes through September 4th. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see that uh, extended again. And then if, if we get close to September and we're still having similar growth in cases to what we're having now. Kind of where we sit. You want to talk about Washington a little bit, Montag? Montag sure. the short straw and got Washington. Short straw? Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, do I really need to make a crack about who passed the Washington bar on their first try? <laughs> uh, Ryan did too. I just failed the bar. I failed the, the reciprocity test because I ran out of time. 
that's true. Ryan decided it, to get reciprocity admission to the bar in Washington. We did it about the same time several years ago. And there's an online test. It's really pretty simple. It's open book. Ryan decided since he had extra time to go back and check his answers. But when you clicked the back button on the browser, it turned out it erased his answers. And uh, so he didn't pass it the first time around. So I should clarify when I make that joke. <laughs> Ryan didn't actually fail a test. He just had a technological glitch. It's fine. We've, we've all been there. Um, so Washington. Washington, as uh, we probably all know, is pretty similar to Oregon in terms of having a phased reopening plan. And like, like many places around the country is having kind of a new resurgence in cases. So they have paused all progression through their phases right now, at least through the end of this month, uh, and likely longer. Um, but there are currently counties throughout Washington in each of the first three phases of reopening. Phase four is kind of the fully reopen. That's not really a phase exactly. It's, you know, you've kind of graduated through the whole process. So uh, depending on where you are in Washington, you're subject to pretty different limits. And so I'm not going to try and discuss what each one is, but like Oregon, it's going to affect what you're allowed to do in terms of having pools open, the number of people you're allowed to have in a, in a gathering. Uh, but it's a very similar concept um, to Oregon. And right now, you know, they're also kind of doing this modification of their original phases due to the resurgence in cases where social gatherings are limited to 10, you know, things are kind of stepped back in a sort of piecemeal way. So it's one of those things we have to keep on top of. Um, let's see, it's, I think it's phase three, kind of the more progressed, you know, uh, counties with fewer cases are down to 10 people and counties in, that are still in phase two can only have social gatherings of up to five people still. And so that's a, a pretty major restriction. So there's no question that's going to in, impact HOA meetings, board meetings, uh, and annual meetings, um, not to mention the pools and the gym openings and things like that. Um, there's also quite a few business restrictions uh, having to do with face masks. We'll talk about that, face masks specifically in a while. Washington also has some exceptions to their restrictions so for funerals, weddings, religious activities, things like that, um, but we're not probably dealing with those uh, in HOA business. One thing that Washington has that's quite a bit different than what we have in Oregon are some specific uh, governor's orders related to HOAs. And those of you in Washington or who work in Washington have probably heard of these. One is that they, it, the Governor Inslee explicitly allow, is allowing uh, virtual and electronic meetings and voting. Now, as we may get to talk about later, and as we have a lot before since the pandemic started, you know, we figured out ways we think it's legal to have virtual meetings in Oregon too, but in Washington, there's no question. It's the governor's proclamation explicitly says HOAs can do that, which is nice. Uh, it kind of takes some of the uncertainty out, out of the process. Uh, the other thing that Washington has done is in that same proclamation, Governor Inslee has put a limitation on HOAs issuing fines or late fees. 
against owners for violations of governing documents, for non-payment of assessments, etc. And that's been re-upped a number of times. Uh, currently, that's in place through August 1st. And that puts a real, as much of a benefit as that is to owners, that puts a real strain on associations to figure out how to enforce violations of your governing documents. And I'm definitely seeing a lot more need for enforcement or at least a lot more desire for enforcement the last few months because everybody's at home. Everybody's looking at their neighbors, seeing what they're doing, feeling pent up and irritated and uh, deciding they want to do something about it. And without fines, you're a little more limited in your tools uh, to deal with it. And we can talk about that a little bit more when we get to in a moment when we're talking about masks and some more specific contexts. Uh, like Oregon, Washington also has an eviction ban or moratorium right now. And also, um, and not that you guys are hopefully evicting folks, but there's also a foreclosure uh, moratorium. Uh, but the, the reason eviction bans are, are important, even in an HOA, is if you have a problem renter and you're dealing with trying to get an owner to get that person out, you may run into issues. Uh, but something to keep in mind, it's true in Oregon and in Washington, is that those eviction moratoriums are for non-payment of rent. So if there's other reason you need to have someone evicted, if you've got someone uh, violating the governing documents in a major way and you need to get them out for that reason, then you've, you can still move forward on that or you can still force an or owner to move forward on that. So that is Washington in a nutshell, um, you know, as we keep saying, I expect these things to change day to day. And as I see the comment in the, in the comments, things are, are moving in the wrong direction for the benchmark criteria. So it's fairly likely, it looks like that restrictions are gonna tighten down a little bit more even potentially as we move forward. Yeah, there's a, there's a question here from Tiffany it's how can we get HOA, how can HOAs get Oregon to prevent permit electronic meetings entirely as well? So um, my take on this is that there is a statute in the Nonprofit Corporation Act, um, it's, it's 65205, uh, and it allows for um, members to participate in a nonprofit corporation's meetings by remote communication, and it has some qualifications in there. Um, they have to be able to participate meaningly. They have to be, you have to be able to verify who they are. Um, you have to be able to record their votes, so on. Um, I think since most associations are nonprofit corporations, I think that that statute gets us to pretty much the same place, which is that HOAs can have online meetings. But, um, I also think that there's probably going to be an amendment to the or to the Planned Community Acts and Condominium Acts to, to make it a little more explicit in the future. So I, it's, uh, um, we have here at the office, we have Barbara Kahn's, who's our head of special projects. And one of the things that she does is she works with a lobbyist to keep track of um, 
bills that affect homeowners associations and condominium associations. And this is on her radar of one of the things to, to change about those statutes. So my guess is in the future, it will be explicitly in the statute. But for the time being, I think, um, in my opinion, ORS 65-205 gets us where we need to go. Um, anyway, uh, so the next topic I have on our list, Montag, is masks. So why I, I'll cover Oregon here, and then you can talk about Washington. Go for it. I, uh, in Oregon, we have a, a, an executive order that requires everyone to, mayor, to wear masks. As I mentioned, it's recently changed to um, require everyone over five to wear a mask. It's, it's required in indoor public spaces and outdoor public spaces. Um, outdoor spaces, particularly when social distancing is not uh, viable, then you have to wear a mask. So it's not everywhere all the time when you're outdoors, but it is when you're in, in a space where you can't socially distance. Um, the, the big question that, that uh, HOAs and condominiums have to deal with is how does this requirement affect the association? Um, yeah, so the question that was just asked was, can you define indoor public space? And that's exactly where I'm going. Which is, what, is, what is an indoor public space? Uh, and there's a little bit um, of a dispute here in the office over what it means. So let me read you the definition and then I'll tell you what I think the interpretation is and maybe Montag will disagree. So the definition is indoor uh, space open to the public it includes indoor spaces, whether publicly owned or privately owned, where the public has access by right or invitation, expressed or implied, whether by payment of money or not. In addition to the public areas of businesses defined above, such spaces may include, but are not limited to public lobbies or common spaces, elevators, bathrooms, and buildings or meeting rooms outside of private homes where people gather for social, civic, cultural, or religious purposes. Okay, that's the definition. So um, there's, I, I think there are some decent arguments on both sides as to whether condominiums are public or not. I, I tend to think that they are not public space. And let me put a little asterisk there. I'm going to circle back to that asterisk. I tend to think that they are not public spaces because the public does not have a right to access uh, by invitation. Um, they're, they're privately owned and people come in, of course, people can come and go through your public spaces to visit members, but as a general rule, the public isn't just invited to come into your homeowners association or condominium association. Now, Let's go back to the asterisks. Uh, what does that apply to? Well, if you're a mixed-use condominium and you have a commercial space, and then the public is invited, I think, to come into that commercial space and shop. And in that case, I think you are a public space and the face mask requirement applies. Um, otherwise, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Montag? Do you agree with that or disagree? I agree with an asterisk. <laughs> uh, I think 
I think there's a pretty good argument to be made that, well, first, say, a, let's differentiate a little bit here. Say a single family home community, you know, a, a homeowners association with maybe some common property that folks can drive through maybe uh, or walk through, uh, you know, sidewalks that come through, you know, is that a space? Is that a public space? Um, that's different than say a, a high rise condominium lobby. Um, but it, in either case, uh, where I come down is that, yeah, you can probably make a pretty good argument that anywhere under a homeowners association or condominium associations control is private because you do have the right to exclude non-owners. But at the same time, just like someone has a right to come up to your door and ring your doorbell, uh, folks have at least theoretically a right to oftentimes come into a lobby or be invited into a lobby by an owner. And I think that if there's any litigation over this, if there's any ever any conflict over this that ends up in the courts, I honestly expect a court to come down on the side of, yeah, you got to require masks or you can require masks. Basically anything that a court is going to come down on the side of, what's the safer thing here what you know who made the decision to do something that was intended to stop the spread of covid not who is on the side of you know personal freedom yeah and you know there's different in different states in the country i think that outcome would be potentially very different but here in oregon and in washington which i can i can summarize their mask rules yeah, why don't you in, talk a, about that? in a minute too i i think that uh the legal interpretation or the safest interpretation that a court's going to come down on is, you know, the quote unquote safest decision. And if you're on that side of things, you're probably going to be in okay shape. Mm -hmm. So Washington has a pretty similar mask order to Oregon and it, it applies. It, they're calling it for businesses anyway, a no mask, no service rule which is an employer actually has an affirmative duty to require um, masks uh, for customers, uh, you know, for folks patronizing their business. And that could apply to some homeowners associations, uh, a mixed use uh, condo or a condo with an employee working there. You know, say you've got either maintenance staff or you have a front desk person uh, something like that. If you've got an employee working there, it's a workplace where if the, the person can't remain distanced from others, uh, you you need to make them wear a mask and you're actually required to provide them. Uh, otherwise, you know, for the general public, Washington's very similar to Oregon, ages five and over uh, in any indoor public setting or outdoors when you're unable to maintain distance. And that's in place, you know, probably indefinitely, but it's essentially the same, same idea as Oregon's. Um, an interesting tidbit that we've learned about out of Colorado is an association being cited by the state for not enforcing the rule. So not enforcing the mask requirement. So we can have a little back and forth on that as well, because that's, a pretty major issue in my mind uh, for HOAs with any kind of public amenity is whether or not, you know, to what extent can you enforce 
a state mandated uh, mask rule and what can you do and what happens if you don't. And Washington's rule, it, just the way I read the order is a little bit, uh, places a more, a higher duty on, on, ent on private entities to enforce the mask rule. I and mean, we'll see what happens. Um, and I think it'll, it'll dif be different for different HOAs. You know, like I said, a mixed use or a condominium somewhere with employees, somewhere that's considered a place of work or a business is gonna have a higher standard than I think a purely residential, uh, you know, maybe a single family home community. Yeah, we, we were discussing, we have a weekly call with the attorneys in the Portland office and we were trying to figure out if anything like that had happened in, in Oregon and we were not aware of, we were not aware of it. But if you're aware of, you know, uh, like the Oregon Health Authority checking on masks, right? you know, something like that, let us know. Uh, I guess uh, one of our, one of my uh, partners was aware that OSHA is checking on mask wearing on construction sites. So if you've got a construction project going on, they may be coming to check on on that to make sure that the uh, the workers are wearing masks. Yeah, so. and we'll touch on so uh, we're going to talk specifically in a minute about pools and other uh, gyms, you yeah. know, exercise rooms. So we'll touch on the masks as a component of that here in a minute. Yeah, to to Melissa's question about you know, or condominium common areas, considered public areas, library elevators, uh, you know, in my opinion, no, unless they're, they're open to the public. So if, if you have an elevator that takes, takes someone to a commercial space, then, and it's open to the public, then it, then it would be a public area and face masks would be required. But I think the, the next logical question is, okay, let's say we're not specifically required by um, by the executive order and the, and the Oregon Health Authority regulations, what can we as an association do? And, you know, this is something where I think the thinking has evolved over time too, because I think, you know, a month or so ago when we discussed this, there was a lot of resistance to the idea that associations could require owners to wear face masks in the common elements. In the, or the common property. And at least to my mind, that question has moved dramatically and, and to my mind resolved that the association can absolutely require owners to wear face masks um, for on, on the common property. Now, if you're in a condominium, particularly if you're like in a condominium and you have a lobby or um, a building or some other facility where people are coming and going all the time and, and they are unlikely to remain socially distanced as they come and go. Um, I, I have no problem with the association mandating that people wear face masks. Now, I will put a little bit of a caveat here, which is, um, well, the first thing I would do if I was crafting a rule like this for an association is I would go and look at the, their rulemaking authority and their governing documents. And it just so happens that almost all of the time the association has authority to craft rules and regulations for the use of the common property or, um, or the common facilities. So I would be 
shocked and surprised if your association didn't have that authority um, already. And, and, you know, and then the next question as well, is this a kind of a reasonable rule that can be adopted? And I think in light of, of our face mask requirements statewide that, yeah, absolutely, it is reasonable. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and it seems that public opinion has shifted dramatically to being in favor of mask requirements. So pushback you might have gotten six weeks ago, I don't think you would get now. Uh, so the next question then is, okay, well, we can, there are public, uh, you know, governmental mask rules and your HOA can probably adopt mask rules. Now, what do you do about them? Uh, you know, what's the board's rule role in enforcing it? Um, you know, if an owner comes to you and says their neighbor's not wearing a mask when they need to, or you see folks um, not wearing a mask when they should be, what do you do? What's, you know, should you say something? Can you fine them? Should you go get an injunction to require them to do it? That's a, a much more difficult question. And that's, and there's two parts of it. What's your obligation to enforce the governmental order? And that's sort of what happened with the HOA we heard about in Colorado, where the, the state is taking the position that the HOA was responsible for enforcing the state's rule. So say your HOA doesn't adopt any kind of mask rule, but someone in your HOA is using a common facility without a mask when they should be or do in some way violating the rule as an HOA, is it your job to do something about that? And my typical answer to questions like, is an HOA responsible for enforcing the law, the answer is no. Uh, it's very much specifically not your job. And it could probably in most associations could make a very good argument that you don't actually have the authority to do anything about it. Now, some of you in your governing documents do have a provision uh, somewhere, maybe in your nuisance provision that says you can't, not only can you not do noxious or offensive things, you also can't do anything illegal, which would give the association a hook to jump in and take some sort of enforcement action on masks. That means fines, you know, the normal enforcement things. You find somebody, that's probably your best tool. Um, jumping into an injunction doesn't make a whole lot of sense for something that happens, you know, in a, at a discrete moment in time. Uh, but that would mean you need to adopt a fine, put it on your schedule of fines, and provide the normal here, notice and opportunity to be heard before you levy that fine. Now in Washington, you can't do that right now. So your hands are pretty well tied in terms of enforcing these things. You can send as many angry letters as you like, but there's no real way to escalate it. I suppose you could sue for uh, an injunction in Washington still if you wanted to? Yeah, yeah, I think you can sue for an injunction still in Washington with masks though unless someone is violating the rule say constantly then you've you've got an enforcement issue yeah. the other enforcement issue is that all the statewide mask mandates both in oregon and washington and ideally your mask rules if you adopt them have exceptions 
specifically for folks who for health reasons, it's not safe or a good idea for them to wear a mask. And how are you gonna know who that person is? You see somebody not wearing a mask, even the statewide guidance, I think Oregon has this, Washington's definitely the statewide guidance says, well, what should I do even as a business required to enforce this rule? What should I do if I see someone not wearing a mask? Should I ask them if they have a health reason not to wear it? And the state's answer is no, you shouldn't. Uh, for, for one, that's an invasion of privacy in many people's estimation, because what, you know, that person can tell you, yep, I have a health condition and that just opens up a whole can of worms and requires them to tell you private information that you're not entitled to know. But it also makes it hard to enforce because anybody could tell you that they're not required to wear a mask or, or for any reason. Uh, so it's a pretty tricky situation. I think, you know, my non-legal opinion is that peer pressure is really the only thing and, and public opinions really the only tool here that's going to get people to wear masks and as an association the best thing you can do is to put information out on what you are or aren't going to do so that folks are at least know and to share um, not your own opinions on public health but there's a lot of publications infographics and things like that published by the state agencies that you can put in common areas to inform people of the importance of wearing masks and the rules related to masks and, and things like that. So you can at least take those steps to encourage it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I mostly agree with you Montag. So, so we have a question here. It says, what extent should the HOA take on the mask rule for common areas? Hire someone to supervise. I, I kind of tend to think particularly if you're in a, in like a, condominium with a lobby with a lot of traffic that the safest course for you would be to adopt a mask rule if you if you're in a high traffic area that social distancing is going to be difficult now and and then you already raised the question of how are you going to enforce it well maybe you're not going to really enforce it I mean maybe you're going to put up signs and you're just going to tell everyone that's the rule and that's what you need to do and and people will ignore the rule but then at least the association did what it could, right? Or, or, or maybe you go down the, the road of levying fines, too. But I think that, um, I think that there is some, um, you know, uh, there's a defense there if you adopt the rule, even if it's not perfectly followed. You say, well, we did what we could, you know. Um, another question here is. You, so the question is, would you hire someone to supervise? I, I, I mean, I don't think you need to hire anyone other than who you have. You would process these complaints the same way you would process every other complaint. In other words, you know, you, you, we don't catch every speeder, but when we do catch them, maybe, maybe we take some action. Maybe you send a letter of some sort and say, please wear your mask next time you're on the con property. So on. The, the answer may be different for in, at a pool in Oregon, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah, the answer is different for pools. Um, would you put a during a pandemic in the rule guidelines? Probably what I would do is I would say until further notice. And then when we got through the pandemic and I would just track it, I would tie it to whatever we're doing in Oregon or nationally. So when the face mask 
rule goes away for going to the store, then maybe the, fa the face mask rule goes away for your lobby or whatever else. Um, yeah, I, th I totally agree with that. I think on most of these health related rules or regulations or procedures, the best thing to do is to mirror as much as possible what the states or counties, you know, whatever your local jurisdiction is doing so that you're not making independent decisions on what the healthy regulation is. You know, are masks requ required or not? Well, as a board, that may not be the best decision for you to be making if it's in some way different than what's publicly applicable. It's better to take the public standard and apply it to your private situation. Yeah, I think the, the presumption is, you know, we as association board members, we don't really know how best to sort through all the competing um, evidence with regards to healthcare, but we assume that the we assume that the government has experts that are advising it and that they're making sound decisions based on sound expert advice. And so there's, I think, a way of sort of outsourcing your judgment that protects you. Um, another question here is, would, would that apply to the Oregon restrictions of no more than 10 people at an indoor social gathering? So, you know, again, I think, I think it depends a little bit on, so I think, the way I'm taking this question is, does the association need to enforce a, a restriction of no more than 10 people at an indoor social gathering? And I think the answer is, well, that that's going to apply to the to gatherings on association common property. So if you have like a, a um, clubhouse and somebody wants to have a birthday party, then yeah, I think you need to apply that restriction. Would I apply it now? Let's say you're in single-family home HOA with uh, you know a sign monument that you maintain. Would I would I say the HOA has the duty to make sure that uh, no no home is hosting a party with more than ten people? I would say no. But in terms of use of the association's facilities and common areas, I would say yes. You should be following that. So. Um, Okay, should we move on to pools now? Yeah, let's talk about pools. You want to go first? You want me? To I'll go first. So pools uh, in Oregon. Uh, I'm going to focus on Oregon because Washington is a little more all over the map with different uh, options for the different phases, uh, depending on. And it's spelled out pretty clearly in the phased, the description of the phases. Um, what exactly you can do in pools in Washington. It goes kind of from uh, well, single use lap swim only to you know fully open. And Oregon has, has some nuances here that are interesting and definitely important to talk about. So under phase one, uh, pools cannot open. You know, that, that's a pretty clear one. And here in the metro area, as Ryan said, we're in what is it, Lincoln County, we're all still in phase one and you know, it may be a while before we re get to phase two, but we should be ready. Um, a lot of folks were ready around here, Clackamas County in particular, to move to phase two, and were preparing for pool openings and got kind of sidetracked when uh, that got put on hold. So under phase two, you can open your pool, but there are a lot of guidelines you've got to follow. And you know, there's a lot of details about prohibiting folks with symptoms of illness, you know, cl closing water fountains, um, making sure everything's 
disinfected. Uh, the most important, and social distancing is the most important rule here. There is in Oregon now the rule that in every, any pool, and it specifically calls out HOAs um, in their frequently asked questions. This was one that caught me by surprise when they first released it, uh, that they specifically called out HOAs on this. You have to assign a social distancing monitor. Uh, you know, this has got to be a person over 18 whose sole responsibility it is to be at the pool and make sure folks are maintaining a six foot distance. It's allowed to be a volunteer board member or, you know, it doesn't have to be a paid position here. Um, but, uh, it is a position you've got to have in place. And now I'm looking at Ryan's notes here and actually now I have a question for him if this has changed. You've got on here, not needed if only one family uses the pool at a time. Yeah. At so, some um, point that was different where it said that it was required even. Did they change that? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. That's my reading of it. So, um, so, so, Social distancing is required um, for people that are not in the same household. But if everybody is in the same household, the um, Oregon Health Authority has made clear you don't actually have to have social distancing, which I guess makes sense because we're you're probably not social distancing with members of your household. So then the question is, well, what if we only allow one household in the pool at a time? Do we have to have a social distancing monitor. And my reading of the guideline is that um, in that case, you do not have to have a social distancing monitor. And I've got it up here, so I, I'll find it for you and um, read it to you when I, um, when, I, when I find it. Maybe, maybe I'll have to take a break. Maybe you can talk about Washington and I'll come back to it. But that's that that's so that's my reading of it now that that would mean you would have to make sure that you only have people from one household at the pool at times so you'd have to have some sort of scheduling mechanism and you'd have to enforce that and you'd have to probably tell owners you can't have your friends over you know to go into the pool so it's you know you you need to take precautions so unless you're willing to do all that i'm not sure that it's really that easy of an out but that would be like the one exception. Yeah, well, well let's pull up. If you have a moment, I'll, I'll blab for a minute. Find their FAQ. Uh, and this is where it gets interesting because the regulations say one thing and then sometimes these agencies interpret them in ways that don't seem to go along with what the regulation actually, actually says and seems to go a little bit farther. So, in any case, I'm going to kind of segue here and use this as an opportunity to talk about potential HOA liability. Um, does the HOA have any liability for any violations of these rules, you know, social distancing rules, uh, mask rules, you know, what if somebody gets sick in your HOA? Is, is there any liability? And if so, what can you do to limit it? Um, Oh, let's see, we got someone yeah, very helpfully answered helpful. our question. 
So this is what it says. If a pool, if a community pool has a sign-up sheet to schedule times, and if only one party can use the pool at that time, would the pool need a physical distance monitor? Answer, no. A licensed pool that chooses to open in phase two is required to have a physical distance monitor assigned by the licensed pool if more than one family group is using the pool at the same time. Okay, that's a change and that's helpful. Yeah. That's initially, right when it came out, um, there, it said the opposite, at least for, for a day when I looked at it. Yeah. That's, kind of, that's kind of part of the, the changing landscape here. Uh, so that, that makes it a lot easier. That makes yeah. it so some folks can open pools without hiring an additional person. Um, so liability. You know, we're getting the question now, what if you can't guarantee, you know, you, you don't actually have a way to physically secure the pool and restrict access? Well, that does present a challenge. So question one is, do you have to open it if you don't feel that like you can do it safely? I say, no, you don't have to open it. Ryan, do you agree or disagree? No, I agree. The, um, uh, that, that was confusing. Yes, I agree. Not no, I agree. Yes, I agree. <laughs> So the, both the Planned Community Acts and the Condominium Act in Oregon give the board the power to, to close facilities on a temporary basis. Um, now, if you wanted to close your pool forever, like if you wanted to cement over it or turn it into a skate park, which I would not recommend, but if you wanted to do something like that, you would need to go to the owners and get permission. But um, closing it on a temporary basis, and I think that during a pandemic, I think that qualifies as temporary. Yeah, I absolutely think the board has the control over that. And I don't think that just because phase two says you can open your pool, that means you necessarily need to open your pool. I don't, I think you can make the decision it's not worth it if you want to. And the example of a pool that you can't physically restrict access to is a good example of a time where you might want to make that choice uh, because I can see it coming back to the HOA if somewhat, you know, if owners or a group of owners decide to violate physical distancing rules, et cetera, in, in the pool and the HOA hadn't controlled that, then yeah, some liability could attach for failure to enforce these regulations. And with pools, I think, I think these rules, do give you a higher standard uh, that you have to comply with in terms of enforcing the government regulation. Uh, you know, it, it does pretty specifically say, obviously, that if you're allowing more than one family, you have to take on the duty of providing someone to enforce social distancing and uh, limits on the number of people in the pool uh, is a, an important part of that. And yeah, without that, we might do something like say, you should adopt a waiver form for folks to sign that specifically disclaims association liability for that, where we say, owner, you understand there's risks here uh, from being in the pool uh, with other people, and we're not taking any steps to protect you. It's your job to monitor your own physical distancing and um, to get out of the pool if there's too many people there. But the Oregon rules make it pretty clear that that's not gonna work. Uh, the HOA is gonna still be responsible for that and you can't hand that liability over to the owner. 
Yeah. Yep. You want to um, talk about, a little bit about gyms now? And do you have anything else on pools? You want, oh, we never, did we cover Washington? Did you have anything you wanted to say about Washington pools? Uh, Washington, it, it's the same idea. They don't have the physical distancing monitor requirement, which is the biggest difference. Uh, and their pools have, if every phase is a little bit different. In phase one, uh, if you're still in phase one, you have no pools. Um, in phase, uh, where'd it go? I had it right in front of me, no I don't. Um, in phase three, you can open a pool and it's gotta be a 50% capacity. Uh, so it's kind of the same, the same idea as Oregon, but without that additional requirement that uh, we be in charge of monitoring it. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, did you say a question? Did you say that signed waivers of liability are worthless in Oregon? <laughs> not, quite. <laughs> uh, not quite. Not um, quite. In terms of the physical distancing and pools issue, uh, probably, uh, but only for that particular issue. A waiver can, you can waive or disclaim liability for other things. Um, that you're not required to do by law. And you know, for your gyms, for example, you could definitely have a waiver um, and you can put a waiver in place. And I, in fact, I recommend it, uh, even that waives liability for everything that you're not required to do. Uh, so for anything other owners might do, anything like that. So no, a waiver is a good idea uh, you should have one generally if you have a pool or other common facilities, and especially now is a good time to tweak it to incorporate pandemic-related mm -hmm. issues, which can be incorporated into a standard waiver. It can be something that doesn't, you know, that can last and continue to apply. Yeah, it's, you know, my take on waivers, I think we should just talk about this while we're on the topic, um, and then we can maybe hit on uh, gyms. My, you know, my take on, on a waiver is that um, the, the best thing that it does for you is it makes the person signing the waiver think that it's binding. In other words, I, the primary value, in my opinion, is discouraging litigation and discouraging lawsuits. I, uh, whether a particular waiver is going to be enforceable or not enforceable, is kind of a hard question to address in in general. Um, I would say that though that there's a principle that's applied in Oregon frequently, which is that uh, if you're asking somebody to waive a tort claim and they don't actually know whether they have that claim yet or not, in other words, um, you say to somebody, you know, I may or may not be have harmed you, I may or may not harm you in the future, that the courts are gonna look very, very closely at those and be very skeptical of them. So, you know, if I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I was an association, give somebody a waiver and expect that it's necessarily going to hold up. Now, why would I give the waiver? Well, because if they sign it, they may think that uh, it's binding. They may never pursue a claim. The other reason is 
uh, frankly, in litigation, a lot of the time what happens is the parties settle the case and you settle that case by sitting down and talking about the various positions and having a waiver is always a great piece of, of uh, leverage to wave around in a mediation to say, you know, to say you, your claim may not survive or, um, you know, it, it lowers the settlement value. So I think it's worth getting. I, I just wouldn't necessarily count on it being enforced 100% uh, of the time. That's, that's kind of my take. Yeah, I mean, Ryan's right. The other thing I think is really important that you can do in, with waivers is to set an expectation that of what the association will or won't do to protect the owner. You know, you can, it's essentially adopting, you can reflect rules you may already have, or it can essentially be a way of adopting additional rules. And in, in the COVID context, you know, maybe the rule, you're adopting the policy and announcing it to the owner, we're not going to be the ones who protect you from other folks overcrowding you know, the gym or, or whatever it is. We're not going to take X, Y, and Z steps to clean the equipment for you every single time. And in that way, you can reduce your potential liability for an owner saying, well, you failed to protect me from COVID because I went to the gym and there was COVID on the exercise bike. Well, we, you signed an agreement that said we weren't going to clean that. And in that way, you, I think you can reduce your liability substantially. Uh, the thing you can't waive is intentional or gross negligent, grossly negligent conduct. And that's kind of a way around, um, waivers in a lot of contexts, and there's no way you're gonna prevent someone from suing you for that. So like Ryan said, the key is having something out there that reduces your actual exposure. Yeah. All right, well, we've got about five minutes left, Ryan. We should yeah. get in some questions. We, we should probably touch on gyms. <laughs> Since we advertise gyms and, and uh, <laughs> we've, we've teased it to the very end. All right, um, in Oregon, in phase one, uh, gyms are allowed to to open, okay, with some some restrictions. I would say the biggest uh, thing that is unusual about it is that people are supposed to sign in when they go to the gym and give their contact information and their date and time of use of the gym. And I think that the primary reason for this is so that if somebody um, actually gets COVID at the gym, the tracers can kind of work backwards and figure out where it came from but um so if you're gonna if you have a gym and you're gonna open it i think you need to do that we have all the same requirements in gyms that we have everywhere else so social distancing posting the the distancing uh requirements everywhere um you maximum occupancy requirements if you have an occupancy requirement you need to enforce it uh, you're encouraged to move activities outdoors that can be moved outdoors, um, if you can. Closing water fountains, the, the, there's an exception if it's like a bottle refill station and you don't have to touch it, then you can use that, but you're not supposed to have water fountains generally open. Um, you, in phase one, you were required to close saunas, pools, and whirlpools. So if you're in one of those phases, you need 
you're in phase one, you need to close those. If you're in phase two, you can open um, pools as we've discussed. You can also open like a hot tub, but the, or uh, whirlpool or whatever you call, would call that. But um, you're, you're limited to having one person or one household in at the same time. So um, if, if you're going to open that, you ought to have something in place in order to make sure that you have one household going in. Um, phase one showers are supposed to be closed. Phase one childcare is supposed to be closed. If you have an association that provides childcare for your gym, let me know so I can buy a unit in that association. That sounds wonderful. Um, supposed to have hand washing stations, uh, encourage one flow traffic. I think we've all been, uh, one way traffic. I think we've all been to the grocery store and seen arrows. Uh, you may want to implement something like that at your gym if you've got more than one entrance and exit. Um, cleaning thoroughly after reopening. So if you've been closed a while, you have an obligation to clean again. You're supposed to wipe down equipment before and after each use. And this is a bit tricky because these requirements are really for um, all sorts of gyms, including commercial gyms. And yet they, it doesn't say only commercial gyms. And so what are you going to do about that? Well, you know, Montag talked about getting a waiver. I think, um, I think it'd be great if you required owners to do that, but frankly, the onus is on the gym. So there's a little bit of exposure, I think, there. So I, you know, I think that if you're going to have your gym open, you maybe ought to consider cleaning stuff fairly frequently there. Um, it says before and after each use. Uh, encourage wearing a face mask. This has changed. This is another change. Um, it used to be an exception to the gym that you wearing a face mask was not required in the gym for strain, strenuous exercise. It's now required. So I think um, if your gym's open, you ought to post signs that require face masks. Um, the restrooms are supposed to be cleaned twice a day. You're supposed to have soap and water so that people and paper towels or whatever so that people that go in can clean and make sure that they're not transmitting diseases. Those are some of the highlights. There's a really good, um, like for the pools, Oregon Health Authority has some really good information online. There's about a four page document that talks about gyms reopening in phase one. And so if you have a gym, I'd encourage you to, to review that document carefully and make sure you're complying with all the requirements. But I've hit the, I've hit the highlights there. Um, One question I want to answer that someone has asked is, can an HOA adopt a rule that conditions use of common areas on a waiver of liability for contraction of Ill illness? Can you impose that requirement for the use? Um, I say yes. Yes, you can. You can say, no, you can't use the pool. You can't use uh, the gym or exercise room without executing a waiver. A lot of associations already do this. Now, there are folks who take the other side of that and say, well, it's my property right and nothing in our governing documents say uh, there's no provision that says you can condition it, my use of these facilities on that. Um, yeah, I, just, I think you can. <laughs> I, I have an association that's doing repairs to the attic space and um, they want to get waivers before they do let people in and um, to, you know, 
from owners. And But the reality is, is they have the duty to do the repairs. And so the way I phrased it is we're not going to do the repairs under the pandemic unless you give us the waiver. We'll do the repairs now if you give the waiver. So I get, you know, but do they have the, they have the duty to do the repair? Um, it's I guess my take on it is might as well, you know, you're better off with the waiver than without it. So you might as well do it. That's kind of the yeah. bottom line. You do it. And if you get any pushback, you deal with it at the time. Um, I haven't dealt with that here in Oregon. One of our Idaho associations had an issue with that, but um, generally speaking, especially under the pandemic, I think most folks are being fairly cooperative with any steps the HOA takes to protect itself because it protects them too. Yeah. I had, Montag, I had one question that we didn't get to, which is what about um, what about if the pool is closed under phase one, can people go and lie out next to the pool? Do you think that's okay? I, I don't know that that's necessarily clear in the regulation, but I would say no, because um, the pool, I'm not sure off the top of my head how it defines pool, but I'm guessing it includes kind of the pool the pool and all of its associated facilities. Um, and that differentiation, I think, would be difficult to enforce. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I went and read the rules and it talked about like in phase, the phase one closing and the recreational facilities says, you know, no water activities or water things. So I think there's maybe some wiggle room, but it's not clearly addressed one way or the other. Right? I probably out of an abundance of caution would would <clears throat> not allow it, but um, I think you, you may have some gray area there if you really wanted to do it. Um, all right, but which phase requires face masks uh, for the, I think that's the question for the gym. My understanding is the gym from here on out requires face masks. That's, that's how I understand that. Yeah, I think that's not a, I don't think that's a phase dependent rule. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think we're at the end, right? Um, if you want, to, the question is, if you want to be on future events like this, how do you how do you make sure that happens? You can email me or Michael Montag, and we'll make sure that you're included on our mailing list. My guess is by signing up today, you have uh, landed yourself on that list. But <laughs> There's a good chance. We can definitely make sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you all for attending. Thanks, everybody. You guys gave me a reason to brush my hair and uh, put on a shirt with buttons today. It's, <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. All right.